Um, and so we've been doing this by looking at the, the, the prophets from the Old Testament. And that's why it feels a little different because prophets of the Old Testament, they, they challenge us, don't they? They're, they're not about, uh, here's a nice uh, uh, thought about God and let's reflect on it. No, prophets of the Old Testament are telling us to act on what you know already. And so I think we've sort of sensed that during this season. We've spoken and read from the prophets and uh, places from uh, the Gospels where Jesus is challenging the, the leaders and the Pharisees. That's Evan, by the way. He, uh, he's, uh, just want to point that out. Hey, Evan. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the feel. And the second thing that we've been trying to do is we've been trying to apply what we're talking about together as the church community. And so if you were here a few Sundays ago, we talked about how on the gospel, the Advent season calls us to think about immigrants. And so we pray for CASA, and we also pray for our Bailey's Crossroad uh, ministry that we're, we're trying to start. And then last Sunday, we talked about um, violence and peace and how when Jesus comes, he's going to rule, he's going to bring shalom and push away any violence in this world. And, and so one of the ways that, um, that we want to respond possibly is we have a, a ministry team called Race and Justice Ministry Team, and they've been thinking about how we can practically act upon um, like peace and justice because I mean these are big topics, and it's hard to actually take some practical steps. And so they created a postcard that you might want to take home with you and sign and, and send it out to your representatives. And so if you want to kind of uh, take a look at that card, uh, Phil Lowe, one of our elders, will have those cards at, at the service uh, in the lobby area. But today we're going to talk about, again, how Jesus calls the religious leaders to live a certain way. And um, we're going to talk about Little Lights, one of our local partners. So that's, that's why we've sort of arranged our Advent season in this way. Next Sunday, as we gather together to worship at Doubletree, if you are around, we would love to have you there. We'll celebrate Jesus' birth. We'll think about how he came, why he came, and really worship him in that way. So that's what's happening this season. Um, I'm going to speak from Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 22. So you could turn there. Um, Jeremiah is one of the major prophets. It's Isaiah and then Jeremiah. We'll look at Jeremiah chapter 22 and 21. Jeremiah chapter 21 and 22 is a place where the prophet Jeremiah is talking to the last four kings of Judah. These last four kings of Judah were did evil in the eyes of God. Um, the last good king of Judah was a king named Josiah, and he started reigning when he was a young boy, and he reigned for about 30 years. He did great things. He brought a revival and renewal to, to God's people. They found the, the book of the law, and they repented, and, and there was a revival that took place. And then after him, he, he died in a battle, and after him, his, four, his three sons and then his grandson would reign. All together, they would reign about, for about 20 years. Uh, the first, um, first kings that followed Josiah, he only reigned for three months. He was taken uh, by the Egyptians, and then the next king ruled for about nine years, and then the next king ruled for a very short time, and then you have the last king of Judah named Zedekiah. And so Jeremiah is looking at, after Josiah passed, he's looking at the last four kings and how how really evil they are. And so he's speaking to them. And so we'll look at that section. We'll look at the four kings of Judah. And then we'll look at Jesus, our true king. 
and then we'll try to apply this in, into our life together. Okay, so Jeremiah chapter 22, we'll start from chapter 22. 21 is uh, a place where Jeremiah speaks to Zedekiah, and he's done with Zedekiah. Chapter 22, the beginning portion there is Je Jeremiah says, here's how a king should rule as my representative. So that's where, where we pick up here. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hands of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, to the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. So I'll pause there. So I'll well, read portion. I'll explain uh, what, what Jeremiah is talking about. But here Jeremiah says this is what, what's required of God's king. If we could put it simply, the kings of Judah and Israel were supposed to represent God to his people. And God, we know, is a just, righteous God. And so the way that the kings of Judah were supposed to rule the land was with righteousness and justice. That, that meant treating people fairly and equally. But oftentimes when we read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, they oppressed the poor, they oppressed the marginalized, and took bribes and treated the powerful a certain way to get more advantage for themselves. And so God, God says, no, you need to treat people equally. And then he mentions three classes of people. He mentions the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners, the aliens. In that culture, these three classes of people were people who were most vulnerable. They were most often oppressed because they didn't have legal rights. And this is not just something that the, that the kings made up, actually. It goes all the way back to the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy when God brought his people out of the land of slavery, from, from slavery out of Egypt. He says, you once were an alien in Egypt, so love the aliens among you. That's why God says, make sure you treat those who are poor and those who have no power among you well. Love them well. And so what, what Jeremiah here is talking about, is he's just reiterating what God had told his people many years ago when he made a covenant with his people. We call it the covenant of Mount Sinai, right? That's, that's, God says, here's who I am. Here's how you ought to live in response to what I've done in your life. And so Jeremiah here um, says this is how kings are to live and rule. They should rule with justice and righteousness. Um, it's kind of thinking like this. I know for us, I was thinking about this, and it's when we hear the word justice or righteousness, it's hard for us to sometimes identify with like, the people in the old, time, old, old Testament times. But imagine this. Some of, most of you work, let's say in your company, your boss or your supervisor or your CEO whoever you work for, let's say they don't treat people justly. Right? So let's say you, you are a great worker. You, you, you take care of so many things, and yet you're always overlooked because of your background, perhaps, because of your education level, or maybe because of your race. You're always overlooked. How do you feel? Well, you feel, I mean, that's not right. That's not fair. 
or on the other hand, let's say you're a student. Some of us are here, students. Let's say you're a teacher. Let's say you, you put in the same work as other students in your class. But for some reason, maybe again, maybe because of your race, your background, your personality maybe, your teacher doesn't give you the same grade that he or she gives to your peers. How do you feel? Well, you feel outraged. That's what's happening in the Old Testament times often. The kings would treat certain kind of people well and people who are in the margin, that they have no power, they, they, they have no resources, they would often treat them poorly. They would oppress them. And so that's why God says, this is not who I am. This is not how my people ought to live. And so again and again, God says, you, my king, my representative, you ought to treat people justly and righteously. So that's what's happening here. Verse 4. It says, for if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house will become a desolation. So he says, if you obey these, uh, uh, the stipulation, then it will go well. Your, your throne for, your, your family will sit on the throne for generations. If not, your house will become a desolation. Verse 6, for thus says the Lord concerning the house of the king of Judah, you are like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon. Gilead and Lebanon were places where beautiful trees and forests. Yet, God says, yet surely I will make you a desert, an uninhabited city. I will prepare destroyers against you, each with his weapons, and they shall cut down your choicest cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations will pass by the city, and every man shall say, will say to his neighbor, why has the Lord dealt thus with this great city? And they will answer, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshipped other gods and served them. And so Jeremiah is imagining Jerusalem being desolate. And people are walking by and asking one another, how, why did God do this to his own people? And they would answer one another. They would say, because God's people broke the covenant and began to worship other gods. So from verse 10 on, now, rather than giving a general um, statement and prophecies, uh, Jeremiah begins to speak to each king, the four kings, or He's called the Zedekiah, but now three kings. We won't, go all, we won't talk about all of them, but maybe two. So verse 10, uh, first he, he, Jeremiah talks about the king that followed King Josiah. His name was Jehoahaz. Um, verse 10, he says, Weep not for him who is dead, nor grieve him, but weep bitterly for him who goes away, for he shall return no more to see his native land. Verse 11, For thus says the Lord concerning Shalom. So Shalom is another name for Jehoahaz, uh, son of Josiah, king of Judah, who reigned instead of Josiah his father and who went away from this place. He shall return here no more, but in the place where they have carried him captive, there, shall be, there he shall die and he shall never see this land again. So what happened to King Shalom is uh, basically um, after King Josiah dies in a battle, he people... Uh, places him, I think he's the fourth son of Josiah, at the, on the throne. But Egypt comes, 
a pharaoh, Nico, comes and basically takes this king, King Shalom, and takes him to Egypt. And he only reigns for three months, and he dies in Egypt. And so Jeremiah is saying, don't weep for Josiah who died in the battlefield, but you are to weep for this king, Shalom, who will never return back to your land. He will perish in a foreign land, the land of Egypt. And that's what he's saying. And then he goes into now talk about verses 13 on, 13 through 19, he talks about the second king that followed Josiah, which is jo- Jehoiakim. There you go, Jehoiakim. Uh, verse 13, woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice, who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his wages who says, I will build myself a great house with spacious upper rooms, who cuts out windows for it, paneling it with cedar, and painting it with vermilion. We'll pause there. So what's happening here is King Jehoiakim, um, he's the king now, and uh, he is, you know, it's one thing for kings to build nice houses, which he's doing here, and that's that's not wrong, but what he's doing, what we read here is he's, He's using forced labor, and he's not paying uh, people who are working. And on top of that, the nation at this point is in a great, severe chaos, stress. The nation, a few centuries back, the Assyrians came, took the northern kingdom. Egypt came, took the king. Uh, Babylonians are right there. They're about to come and destroy Jerusalem. So there is a lot of political chaos that's happening. And people of the land are living in fear and in poverty. And here is this king building a nice house for himself. That's why Jeremiah here is upset. He said, you think you're a king just because you live in a nice palace? And he begins to rebuke him. Verse 15, do you think you're a king because you compete in cedar? Did did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Talking about Josiah, his father. Uh, Then it it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well. Is not this to know me, declares the Lord? But you have eyes and heart only for your dishonest gains, for shedding innocent blood, and for practicing oppression and violence. Well, I'll stop there. This is a heavy passage, but Jeremiah is in the st- state of anger because, again, the, part, the, the king who was supposed to represent the goodness and the justice and the righteousness of God was treating people or oppressing the poor and was feasting in a luxurious palace while his people were suffering and dying. So that's the picture, and that's why Jeremiah is upset. And sadly, uh, if you read the, the first and second kings, I think most of the kings lived in this way. They, were, they did not represent God in a right way to his people. They were selfish, self-centered. They, they lived to gain glory for themselves. And so prophets come again and again says two things. Right? One, you've forsaken the Lord. Right? You stop worshiping God. And secondly, you are treating people unjustly. Those two things, and that's what Jeremiah here says. Now, the next king that follows these four wicked kings is King Jesus. In the book of Matthew, 
Uh, when the genealogy is presented, you have the line, right? Josiah and the four sons and Zedekiah. It ends with Zedekiah. And then after another 14 names, it's Jesus who comes. So what, what we're supposed to get as we read these stories and the prophecies of all this, we are supposed to say King Jesus is the true king. He's the king who truly represents God and who God is. And so what I want to do is just for a couple of minutes, in midst of all the prophecies that the prophets said about these wicked kings, along the way, the prophets talk about this coming king that will, that will bring peace, that will rule in justice and righteousness. So let me read a few verses from these prophets that talks about Jesus and his kingship. Okay? Jeremiah 23, verse 5. This is right after Jeremiah talks about these four wicked kings. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise, raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. When we think about justice and righteousness, it's, a, it's about treating people fairly, equally. And so here Jesus will come, righteousness, with justice, who will deal people with, with wisdom. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clan of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. We're talking about Jesus again, right? Who's coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Right? I mean, imagine all the prophets are talking about these wicked kings who are doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. But in the midst of all of that, Zechariah says, Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt and a foal of a donkey. And then Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There are many verses like this where prophets are prophesying about the king. Jesus will come in righteousness and justice, bring shalom, bring salvation. Now, out of these verses that we read, I just want to highlight um, three things really quickly. One, Jesus, if we think about Jesus the king, he is one, he's a humble king. Uh, Zechariah says he will come riding on a donkey. The kings in ancient times rode in a mighty, magnificent horse. But Jesus rode in a donkey into Jerusalem. And, and we know that passage where people crowd, gather around Jesus as he's riding on a, ho a donkey. People are shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Isaiah says he will be born as an infant, like a child. Jesus was born in a manger, as you know. He was born into a poor family. 
That's, I mean, I often think about this. That Jesus, the God, came, comes, and he could have chosen many families to be born into, but he chooses a family that's poor. And unlike the kings of Judah, he wasn't surrounded by luxury, but he experienced poverty and even homelessness. He experienced pain, disappointment, and even suffering like us. The Apostle Paul in New Testament talks about how Jesus came and he surrendered his divinity. Right? He, he considered his uh, God-likeness nothing to hold, hold on to, but he surrendered his divinity and emptied himself, became nothing, became a servant, obedient, even to the point of death and death on a cross. That's who our king is. He humbled himself. He's a humble, humble king. Other religions um, uh, look at the Christmas story, right? God coming, becoming a man, and, and say, um, that's impossible. Right? Like religions, religions like the Islam would say, that's, why would a holy God, or how would a holy God come and mesh himself with sin and chaos and dirt? Why, why, would, he, why would God do that? It does not make sense. This is why the Christian faith, the Christian story is unique in all, in all the world. We have a God who is the king of the universe, right? In Revelation chapter 19, it says on his thighs, there is an inscription that says, King of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules the universe, and yet he broke into our filthy, sin-filled, dirty world. Why would he do that? We know, the, we know the answer why he did that because it was the only way for him to save his people without destroying his creation. He became one of us. And eventually, Isaiah 53 says, he took our sin, our shame. That's the Christmas story, right? And, and that beautiful story is unique. There's no other story like this. I was thinking about Steve Park, who, uh, the, he's a director, founder of Little Lights. Um, we're going to hear from him in a bit in a video. But his testimony is basically, during college, he was in, he was in a dark place. Uh, things, have, things had happened, and he was just questioning life. And uh, it was through his sister that he began to go to church and experience, like, hope. And he said that he read a book called, um, or it's about a book on religions of the world. And he read all the, like, different chapters talking about different religions. That the last chapter was about Christianity. And then what struck him was, was the life that Jesus lived. He said the life that Jesus was so beautiful, so radical, how he loved people, it impacted him so much. And he talks about how his discipleship didn't start because he wanted to get to heaven and, and he saw Jesus as someone who would kind of take care of his sin. I mean, that is true. But he said his discipleship and his faith happened because he saw Jesus and how much radically he loved people. And he said, this is, he has the answer. This is how we ought to live. And, and he began to follow Jesus in that way. And, and out of that, he started the Little Lights Ministry. And that's what we see in Scripture. We have an amazing, awesome God, King of, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and yet He punctured a hole and entered into our filthy, dark place to be with us. He's God, Emmanuel. He knows our suffering. He, he identifies with our struggles. That's our. This is our King.
Number one, he's a humble king. Number two, he's a righteous and just king. We talked about this. He, he treats people equally. When you look, read the Gospels, he doesn't treat the poor widow differently than the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. No, he, he talks to both of them about their sin and needing to repent and receive forgiveness. He doesn't treat the power, powerful people any differently than the poor people. In fact, he's drawn to people who are marginalized, right? He befriended sinners and tax collectors. He touched and healed lepers. He delivered those who were demon-possessed and gave them hope. He had mercy on people like Bartimaeus, who was a poor, blind beggar who just cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. No one would touch him. No one would go near him. But Jesus turns and begins to talk with him. He celebrates the poor widow's faith. The poor widow who had only two small copper coins to put into the, to the treasury. Jesus saw that. He celebrated her faith. This is a great faith. He welcomed children. He lived. He was the just and righteous king. He represents who God is in his Fullness, in his compassion, his holiness, justice, everything about Jesus says this is who God is. So he's a humble king. He's a righteous and just king. And lastly, he, he, his kingship will rule, will, will rule for, he will rule forever. Uh, prophets say forever and ever he will reign. So that's who Jesus is. So, that, so I want us to compare Jesus, who Jesus is, with the kings that Jeremiah talks about, the last four kings. So, um, number three, just lastly, how do, how, how do we apply this? So, just two, two things. Um, one, we are to worship this king. Can I get an amen there? We need to worship this king. Come on, people. <laughs> All right, am I being, I don't know. Like, maybe I'm not connecting here. But, okay, I was, I was thinking about like, how, do I, how, how do I say this in a way that will like even sort of like hit us a little bit. And I don't know why, but this morning I was, Kind of thinking, and I thought about Mrs. Bernard. Mrs. Bernard was my sixth grade teacher uh, at Belvedere. Margot, whoo! Um, I just remember her because whenever I went into her classroom, like, not only things were organized, but she made the, the class fun. And, and oddly, I remember wanting to go to school. <laughs> it's kind of weird, but like, it was good being there because she was a good teacher. She was, she was like gentle and kind, but also had this sense of like, like organization and kids respected her and there was calmness and I don't know, she was just a good teacher and, and, and I liked like going there and, and just I remember towards the end of our, I guess, year, we just, just the kids in, in the class, they like would celebrate her like, Mrs. Bernard, you're such a good team. We're going to miss you. You're such a good team. Best teacher we had, or we've had. Things like that. Um, King Jesus will make all things right. Uh, he, even now, if he enters into your life, when things are chaos, when your life is filled with darkness, and you don't know what to do, and things feel confusing, Jesus comes in as a good, powerful, kind, gentle, just, righteous king, and he will bring shalom upon your life. And so we worship him, and that's what we're doing here today. We worship him, 
and we'll worship him as we close our time through some songs and communion. Let's worship him because this is who God is. This is what Christmas is, is about, right? God came becoming a man, puncturing a hole and meshing himself with us, our sins. So we worship, we celebrate. Number two, we follow our king in life of humble service. As followers of Jesus, we don't chase after luxury, but we practice generosity. Rather than maximizing our life, we intentionally set limits and create margins, whether it's margin of time, margin of money, so that we can love and serve those around us. I mean, I say this, I, I, I say this, I think I've said this many times. You know, I, I respect our church leaders and people who've been here for a while and, and serving because, I mean, I, when I see them, that's what they do. They, they're busy, I'm sure. They have a lot of things going on, but they intentionally have set aside time, space, mental space, heart space, and money so that they can love other people. And many of you are doing that. And I want to I thank you and celebrate you because that's following Jesus. I mean, imagine Jesus, the king of the universe, coming, and he has one agenda. He needs, to take, he, he needs to make sure he gets to the cross. But along the way, he has so much time to talk to the poor widow, talk to Bartimaeus, who, are, who is a beggar, who is, who is poor, who is broken. He touches the leper. He does this. You look at the Gospels, and that's why he's beautiful. Why? And as followers of Jesus, that's what we do. We're not about maximization. We're not about trying to maximize our experience and maximize our possessions and, and maximize and accumulate as much as we can. That's not how Jesus lived. He had margins to fellowship with his disciples. He had margins to, again, take care of those who are poor, to heal people, touch people. And that's how we are called to live. As we said, uh, this, during this season, we're trying to apply this together. And so I'm going to ask uh, one of our elders, Andy Ho, to come up. And he's going to share a little bit about Little Lights. Andy's on the board there. And so this is Little Lights is one of our partners. And so we'll uh, hopefully apply this uh, together um, during this season. Hello? Okay. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Andy. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm one of the elders here at this church. I'm also on the board uh, of Little Lights Urban Ministries. And so today, we are doing justice and acting like Jesus by praying and blessing Little Light. Uh, some of you are already donors and volunteers for Little Lights, and I thank you for that. Uh, but for those of you that aren't familiar with Little Lights, it's a ministry that provides long-term, year-round support and services for three public housing communities in Washington, D.C. Uh, these are public housing neighborhoods, are predominantly African-American, and families often struggle to exist on an average of 17% of the median D.C. income, and that's about $14,000 per year. 
And so since 1995, Little Lights has built trusted relationships to provide effective ministry for children, youth, and adults with an array of programs that center on academic and youth development, economic empowerment, and relational support. Uh, Little Lights also provides donation-based anti-racism training to the broader community. And so as Pastor Steve has talked about, you know, we, are, we want to bless the widows, the fatherless. Um, we want to defend the cause of the poor and the needy. And so we as a church today are doing a special fundraiser this season to support Little Lights. Um, we currently, as a church, are partners with Little Lights, and we provide $5,000 a year of support. But we'd like to do a special opportunity today to raise additional support for them and have a goal of $10,000 to do this. And so would you consider prayerfully you know, making a special gift above and beyond your regular giving to GCCC and support Little Lights today, or at least before the end of the year? Um, so let's take two minutes to watch a quick video from the founder of Little Lights, Steve Park. So I started Little Lights in 1995 after my own uh, spiritual conversion. Uh, I was a very devout atheist in high school and college, but I had what you'd call a walking depression. wasn't really a joyful person, um, but I got through and, and got decent grades, uh, but had very little deep sense of hope for the future. I came back to the D.C. area after college, and I went through an incredibly bad drug experience after college. Uh, and it was an existential crisis. I went through spiritual warfare and fear, and I didn't know where to turn. Um, ultimately, I had a very powerful experience of compassion through my sister that really changed my outlook on life. I remember telling her how depressed I was. I was... Um, scared, I was fearful, and in some ways suicidal. Uh, but she embraced me with this incredible tenderness physically and gave me a hug that just led me to break down weeping uncontrollably for 30 straight minutes. And it really opened my heart to what true compassion was. And I realized compassion really is the most important thing in life. And as a result of that experience, I, I started volunteering and then working with kids in a low-income neighborhood where my parents owned a business. And I, I really fell in love with working with the kids. But I also saw that there was a lot of need in the community of need for relationship and academic support. Um, and it was one young man named Daryl. He was an eighth grader, a football player, big kid, but couldn't read a Dr. Seuss book in eighth grade. And that really broke my heart to see him struggle um, to read these one-syllable words. And, and so I, I felt convicted to, to support students like Daryl um, and started Little Lights as a, a Christian tutoring and Bible study program inside my parents' business in Northwest D.C. Uh, let's take a moment to pray. And so please join when I say, King Jesus, you defend the stranger by saying, King Jesus, you defend the fatherless and the widow. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness to the work of the staff and the volunteers of Little Lights. Thank you for providing much-needed hope and compassionate action to underserved families and youth. We pray, Lord, for your continued mercies and justice to overcome systemic challenges 
of affordable housing, economic opportunity, and proper education. King Jesus, you defend the stranger. King Jesus. Lord, we are thankful for Little Lights, especially the high school seniors who recently found out or will soon find out they've been accepted to college. We, accept, we thank you for Jeffrey, a senior who has received college acceptances and financial aid to attend college without loans. We thank you for Tyrone, a senior who's gotten into college and is waiting for financial aid news. We're thankful for the staff and the volunteer tutors who have helped them to get to this point. King Jesus, you defend the stranger. Lord, we pray for the kids and families in these DC housing projects. We pray for their joy, for their victories to come from you, for you to use them powerfully to bless this city. We pray that they would be finding blessing from this city too. King Jesus, you defend the stranger. Lord, we commit Little Lights Urban Ministries to you as they keep following your paths, as you keep teaching them your ways. Let them persevere. Give them wisdom. Give them sincere faith and love in the Holy Spirit. King Jesus, you defend the stranger. Lord, as a church, would we act through Christ's love to give hope and provision to those in need. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to needs around us in our communities and soften our hearts to have compassion and generosity to those in need. May we be known by our love for those around us. May we be effective advocates for those who need advocates. King Jesus, you defend the stranger. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you again, and please consider making a donation to Little Lights. You can do it directly at their website. It's littlelights.org. Um, you can also find their site through our church site under cause and then go to local partners. Uh, we'll be doing our offering prayer now, and so dedicating our regular giving to the church as well, in, as, well as committing ourselves to giving our wealth rather than hoarding it, including giving to Little Lights. So let's bow our heads once again and pray. God, we recognize that this giving is a power collision in our worship. We live in a culture that often loves and honors money while often ignoring and dishonoring you, God. So God, as we give, we are saying something about money, status, and self-absorption. We are declaring these things to be limited powers with false promises. And we are saying all things belong to you, God. All that we have belongs to you. And that it is more blessed to give than to receive, just like Jesus taught us. The most important things we seek are your kingdom and your righteousness. Help us to trust in your power and your wise provision. We worship you through Christ, the righteous king, the just judge, the prince of peace. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to uh, read the Apostles' Creed that uh, just affirms one another our faith, and then we'll have communion together.
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to the heaven and seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Uh, every communion, um, Jesus says, uh, the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink from it for the forgiveness of your sins. So yeah, if you're a follower of Jesus, please come and yeah, remember his sacrificial love and death for you uh, that he left what was most comfortable, uh, punctured a hole in our broken, dark world, generally our world, but in your life as well, to remove sin, to give us life, to bring light into our life. So let's come and celebrate him in that way. If you want to receive prayer for any reason, uh, we'll have some leaders up here. They would love to pray with you, and we'll sing and just worship him and just adore him uh, as we close our time. So let's, let's do that together.
give him all the glory. Um, before I pray and dismiss us, send us off, just a couple of, couple of reminders. Uh, one, um, yeah, if you want to give towards our Tyson's apartment, uh, there's three families. We expect to see long lines. Daniel D's there. Um, you can pick up a card that has our main events that are coming up in the welcome table. Also, a resource from RJMT. Uh, and then I know many of us are thinking about New Year's resolutions, no? Can I just give us, give one for our church community here at Tyson's? I think I can because I'm the lead pastor here. <laughs> yeah. um, if, I, if I may, if, you know, I've said this a few times along the way, and I, I realized today, oh, this is why it might not be working. I've asked people to come. Hey, let's come here at, uh, we start at 1030. Let's come here at 1015 uh, to, like, get this place warmed up for worship. Uh, but I realized many of our uh, Tyson's folks are young families with little kids. And I, I saw today as I was using the bathroom that, Many of young parents with young kids, they were in line to check their kids in. And I, and I get that. I go, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. So I'm going to say New Year's resolution for Tyson's. I say this today because next two Sundays we'll be at Arlington. Um, for Tyson's community, if you are single or if you're a parent, a couple with older kids or you don't have little ones, let's be here at 10, 15. Is, can we make that a New Year's resolution so that we can welcome one another in well? And start, like, worshiping from the beginning. All right, okay, that's that. I'll just declare that. That's our New Year's resolution, okay? Right. Um, just uh, two thoughts. So Arlington, next two Sundays, will be there um, for young families. Or if you have any kind of ailment, <laughs> like myself, maybe. Um, they're, actually, you could park in the garage, and they have a, uh, you can get your tickets validated. So if you have little kids, I want to encourage you to use that. Um, and there are parking spaces around the hotel, so that should be fine. Um, yeah, and we start at 11 o'clock there, all right, 11 o'clock. But you can show up at 1030 if you like, um, 11 o'clock. All right, let me pray and we'll, we'll be sent. Dear God, we are so thankful, and God, that you did not leave us in our own state of just darkness, but you broke in. You brought light and life to us. And we're so thankful. And you did this not by dominating things or ruling, ruling over things, lowering over things, but you came in a gentle, most gentle, humble way. And so all the more we adore you and we magnify you and we praise you. Lord, help us to do that even as we go forward uh, from this place. 
throughout this week as we interact with our coworkers, families, and friends. Help us to be a blessing to those around us. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of our Heavenly Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for coming today. If you're around, we'll see you.